please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, I thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. God, I thank You that we can call You Father and that we can pray to You and that You are good and that You will answer our prayers. God, I pray that You would convict us of the sin that this passage shows us. Help us to turn to You that we may pray to You with the right heart and the right motive. It's all this I pray in Your Son's holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So this summer and the previous weeks, we started this series on prayer. And Seth's been talking to us about prayer. And the very first week, Seth challenged us that we might be a people known of prayer. That we might be known in our community as a people of prayer. That our prayer would be such that it would change our lives and the people around us. And so we went and we first we learned what prayer is. We learned that it's a disciple of Jesus communicating with God. We recognize His power in our lives. We learned when we should pray. We learned how we should pray. And then over the past couple weeks, we posed the question, why even pray? And last week, Seth talked to us in the book of Luke about the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And ultimately, we learned that we come before God and pray to Him as a good Father. And because He's a good Father and He knows what's best for us, that He seeks to glorify Himself and give us all good things through prayer. And so we trust Him in our answers to prayer that He is going to give us ultimately what is good for us. So with these ideas in mind specifically that we should be a people of prayer and that we should come to God in prayer, we're going to get to our passage today. So um, our passage today comes in the context of a large sermon. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, I'm sure some of you are familiar with, is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And here, in, right in the middle of chapter 6, Jesus is speaking on prayer. And so, in this larger Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to His disciples and many other people around. In chapter 5, He presents Jesus the King. He's giving the standards of what people in His kingdom, disciples, should look like. 
And so as they're standing around, they're hearing what their lives should look like as disciples of Jesus Christ. He portrays the characteristics of parent and kingdom-minded disciples. And before anyone can become too prideful about these characteristics and say, oh, I have that in my life, he quickly challenges them on their perceived righteousness with these secret sins of the heart. He says even at the heart level that we can't measure up without Him. He, in essence, says that our heart and our attitudes had to be pure before our actions are pure. So in one quick swipe of the brush, Jesus has drastically changed their view of righteous deeds. It wasn't enough just to strictly do something and have it be righteous, that we had to have a right heart, and we only can have a right heart through Jesus Christ. So we come to this section on prayer. So it's not just that we have an inadequate theology, we have an inadequate righteousness. And so he contrasts these two. It's a both and. Jesus is not only saying that their theology is bad, but that even in their righteous deeds, they're not measuring up. So picture it this way. There's this large, there's this hillside. You're there. Jesus is speaking. His disciples are close, but there's a large group of people. So maybe, maybe you're up close. Maybe you're on the fringes of this large crowd and you're, you're straining to hear Jesus' words as he's speaking. And he's giving you all these characteristics of what it is to be a kingdom-minded disciple. And as you're listening, you're running through this mental checklist in your head and you're saying, I've got that one. I'm good. I'm good. Ooh, I excel at that one. That one, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too bad. And as you're running through this mental checklist in your mind, you hear him say something else and he, it shocks you and it's, he said, what? These sins that I'm not committing? I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. He says that we're still committing them because we're committing them at our heart with anger and lust. And this just shocks you. But before you let it convict yourself, you say to yourself, well, you know, I'm probably not all that bad. I reassure myself, you know, I do all these good things. I pray. I give. I fast. So I'm doing good to others. I'm doing good to God. I'm trying to make myself look righteous. I must be okay. And before the thoughts even concluded in your head, Jesus speaks out here in chapter 6, Oh yeah? You think you are good enough? Think you think again. Check your motive. And so He comes here and He focuses on three religious activities that are very common in that day and are still common. Giving, praying, and fasting. He says that many, for many of you, you're doing it with the wrong heart motive. See, Jesus isn't teaching them something new here. He's exhorting them. He's commanding them. He's trying to pull them out and say, you know all these things. All these things were familiar to these people. They prayed religiously. They gave religiously. They fasted. But they had lost focus of the meaning behind it. They no longer prayed to God as Creator and Father, but they, re- 
pray to him because it was a rote thing that they needed to do. So he wasn't teaching them something they were unfamiliar with. He was affirming things that they should have known and he was challenging to incorporate them in their lives in a meaningful way that brought Jesus to the forefront and gave glory to God. So many of you, this section on prayer begins what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And in many sermons that I read through, many people just kind of glance over these verses and quickly get into the Lord's Prayer. And it becomes something that, if you grow up in church, that you're very familiar with. You recite it and you say it and you say, you know, Jesus taught us to pray and this is how we should pray. And so we go about it. But Jesus gives us an important warning before He teaches us how to pray. He gives us instructions that aren't to be overlooked because He's not teaching us what to pray, but He's modeling for us how to pray. See, it wasn't about simply the religious activities. It was about who these religious activities were directed to and what your motives were behind them. So these warnings and instructions will hopefully help us to check our motives when we pray. So as we learn specifically over the next few weeks about how we pray with the model that Jesus gave us. It's important to note as we look at this passage that Jesus begins specifically with when you pray. As a disciple of Jesus, it wasn't a question of if you pray, it was when you pray. So prayer should be like breathing to the disciple of Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry states it this way, you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. Jesus expects His disciples to pray, but He expects them to pray in a different spirit, with a different motivation, and a different awareness about who God is. So when we pray in this passage, there are three fundamental questions that we need to ask ourselves that I think Jesus brings out here to question their motive of how they were praying at that time. And the first question is, when we pray, who is our audience? See, prayer is an act of worship. So we need to ask ourselves, first of all, with our audience, who are we worshiping? See, Jesus knew his audience. These weren't, like I said, these weren't people who were unfamiliar with prayer. They knew about prayer. And so he structured his teaching in a way that would captivate them, that would reach them immediately. So many of you who've taught lessons, and I'm a teacher, it struck me as I read this, because I wouldn't start off with what not to do, but I would go through and I would teach someone how to do something, and as they made a mistake, then I would correct them. Well, see, these people didn't need an instruction on prayer. They knew about prayer. Prayer was something familiar to them. So he immediately starts with the correction. See, they were familiar with it. If you think back at the Old Testament and the Psalms, 
at one point, they knew what true prayer to God was, but at some point in time, they had lost their focus on who God was in prayer. And so he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Hear this you. He's talking to the whole crowd. It's a plural. He's saying, you all when you pray. So this idea of prayer should be, you all should be praying. It's not just individual prayer. It's a corporate. You should be praying together. You should be praying as individuals. You should be praying for each other. But when you pray, don't be like the hypocrite. So this idea of hypocrite is this stage actor, one who who masks his face in order to put on a show for others. So when we pray, we're not to put on a show. So here Jesus is closing the door on getting your identity from your righteous deeds. We can't get our identity from praying or, or giving or fasting. But we get our identity from who we pray to. We see who we pray to and we get our identity in that. So the first question of the audience is, are we worshiping others? See, we can either worship others, we can worship self, or we can worship God. And Jesus immediately says, you must not be like the hypocrite. For they love, they desire, they long to stand and make them, they may want to make themselves seen before others. And they pray in the synagogue and at the street corner. You say, well, so I shouldn't pray in church or in public places? No, that's not what God's saying. God wants you to play, pray in these places, but He's saying, it's the position of how you pray, your attitude behind praying in these places. See, these people they had built in this common practice of prayer. So rather than going with the attitude that I'm praying to God, they were going to pray in the synagogue and on the street corner that they may be seen by others. And so that others would see them praying. And so that others would see, oh, look, this person has a good relationship with God. They missed the point. And so Jesus is saying that prayer is not meant to be a production. Think about it in your lives. How many times do we go and pray, especially in public, and the prayer is not for God's benefit, but for others? We think about, you know, what words do I need to say? Who might be listening? Did I give the right message in my prayer? And God's saying here, don't be like the hypocrite. Don't stand up and try to mask yourself, but talk to me. Don't talk to others. Prayer is not for the benefit of those people listening, but for the benefit of God. We pray so that we can be aligned in a vertical relationship with God and as we're aligned in a vertical relationship with who God is, God fixes our relationship with who He is and our relationship across with who others. We're not to pray so that those people around us see who we are and make ourselves look good. That's missing the point. One person said, well, these Pharisees, well, these people, religious people of prayer, well, they're prayer seemed to 
go upward, their eyes were fixed on praise, not praising. So they were more worried about getting the praise of men than praising their Creator God, the One who wants for them fullness of joy. And so we see here in the verse, it says, Why? It says they prayed on the street corner. Why did they, they do this? That they may be seen by others. The more subtle point that we might miss out of this text is, are we worshiping self? See, that comes in in a similar form, but slightly different. Many times we pray that others may see us as righteous and may see us as a good person. But for some of you, that's not an issue so much. We can mask that. And when we get alone with God at our house in prayer, and we pray for other people, and we spend quality time in our mind with prayer, we lose sight of praying to God and we look at it more as a checklist item. Oh, yep, I prayed. I prayed for 30 minutes yesterday. I got through my whole prayer list. Man, that was a sweet time in prayer. And we pat ourselves and we say, look at me, God. I measure up. I pray before You. And we still miss the point of who we're praying to. No longer are we praying to the God who is our Creator and Father, but we're praying to gain for ourselves a righteousness that's not of our own power through our prayers, but a righteousness that only can come through Jesus Christ. And so we come finally to who we're supposed to be worshiping in prayer. And last week, Seth brought to us that we're supposed to come to Him as a Father. And so we should be praying to Him as a Father, that One that seeks our greatest good and interest. God says there in the verses, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward or their payment. He says this is a trustworthy statement. So these hypocrites who pray and don't pray to me, they've received their reward. They've received their payment. They've received what should seem good to them. And that goodness is the praise of men, not praying towards God. So as we pray to God, every time we pray, we need to remind ourselves that we're praying to Him. When we're praying, we're not talking to each other. We're talking to God in front of each other. It's not bad to pray in front of each other. It's not bad for people to be impressed with prayer, our prayer. It's not bad for people to see our prayer and have them come to a deep and great understanding about who God is but it should be to God and not somebody else. John Calvin wrote, whether a man prays alone or in the presence of others, he ought to have the same feelings as if he were shut up in his closet and had no other witness but God. There needs to be the realization in prayer that we are coming before the almighty throne of God as our Father. 
Here, Jesus brings the next question, which is when we pray, what is our attitude? So I'll go back. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you... See now here, Jesus transitions not just to the plural of all of you, as you're all responsible to pray, but He goes to the individual and He says, your attitude and your motive has to be checked. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's this idea, just imagine it, you're back there at the crowd and you're listening to Jesus and He's talking on prayer and you're, you're trying to build yourself up and Jesus calls you out on the sins of your heart and here He's speaking to the crowd and He's, you're probably kind of maybe having trouble hearing and you're, you're kind of, I don't know if for you, but as you get a lot of information, you start to tune out and he's talking to everyone, so I'm still, you, you let that creep back in, that pride of, I'm still good. And he says, he would have probably pointed his finger and said, but you, think about his disciples standing there, but you, Peter, but you, John, but you, put your name there. But when you pray, when you're in public prayer, when you're in private prayer, go into your room and shut the door. See, this idea of room is this idea of this inner place inside this fortress. There's no windows. There's no walls. It was this idea of a storehouse somewhere where they kept important goods and it would always be locked. And only you would have the key. Go to your room and close the door. Lock it. Block everybody out as you pray. And pray to me. Pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the attitudes that we need to look at... See, this idea is not focused on location or posture or people. The point is focused on our attitude, our motive. It's not wrong if people hear you pray. It's wrong if people are impressed if you are trying to impress people by your prayer, true believers must cultivate a genuine spiritual practice in prayer. And so are we sincere in our prayer? The secret chamber, like I said, your hidden place is not so much a temporal setting, but a mindset. When you go to pray, is your mindset that you get alone? before God Almighty and you come to the Father and you ask the Father to glorify Himself. You ask the Father to let His will be done. To let the good things that He sees take place in your life and trust Him that what comes about in your life is good and for His glory. Do we get before Kneel before the Almighty, Sovereign, sovereign Creator God 
who is our fullness of joy? Do we trust Him? Think back to Ephesians and remember who you are. What is your identity as a disciple of Jesus Christ? See, our private prayer should dictate our public prayer. Our public prayer should be an overflow of what our private prayer is. And so, as we pray in public, it should just be the idea of this, as we sing here, the corporate worship, it should be overflowing of what we're doing in private, praying before God. And so, are we sincere? Or are we like the hypocrite? See, there's this pendulum, are we prideful that Jesus presents? And for those who said, oh, I'm not that prideful, He swings it the other way. Are we humble? All of our prayer must be done in humility and with a view of God alone. True prayer is, in essence, an expression of need and dependency on God. Therefore, it is inconsistent with a true believer to come before God in pride because we realize as we stand before God Almighty that we come to Him in need and that we can only come to Him through what Jesus has done for us. And so we come to Him humbly. We come to Him sincerely. Not putting on a show, but as someone who that we trust. We come to Him intentionally. Here Jesus swings that pendulum back the other way. See, for those who weren't prideful, they were coming to Jesus not intentionally. They were indifferent about their prayer. We have to fight against that. That goes back to are we praying? It's that more subtle thing of we're praying for ourselves. If we look in verse number 7, and when you... He goes back to the plural... Pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have need of before you ask. See, this idea of empty phrases was this idea that they were very common with. And you say, well, we don't have empty phrases in our prayer. I think if you think about it, you'll realize that we do. It's this idea, this empty phrases is this babbling. This idea, it came from the idea of stuttering. One who stutters. And these people would stutter and babble before God. They would repeat and repeat and repeat. And you think about it. We see people in other religions, they repeat prayers over and over and over. There's this ritualistic idea. If I have to pray now, and I have to say this certain prayer now to get in good favor with God. We do that with the Lord's Prayer. We say it at certain occasions. We say it at certain times. We do it with prayers in our life. God's not saying that we can't repeat ourselves, but He's saying look at your attitude. Are you being intentional about what you're praying? Or are you just repeating it that you can be heard by God. See, we learned last week that God is a good Father who hears us. So we don't have to beg Him. We don't have to knock and knock and knock and knock at His door and hope that He'll give us good things. We don't have to inform God about anything or solicit Him. So He says, 
stop this vain repetition. We see this many places, but in the Bible we see it two places specifically. If you think in the book of Acts, Paul's talking to the Ephesians and they repeat, it says, for hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians over and over and over again as if by saying it that they're going to awaken him. In the Old Testament, we see the prophets praying to Baal over and over and cutting themselves and chanting. And we see people of God coming before Him and saying, God, make Yourself great. There's not this vain repetition, but we understand that we don't have to persuade God by saying any magic words. We don't have to say something that soothes His ears and appeases Him to give us a right. Our words don't have to be perfect because Jesus is our perfection. So we can come to Him as Father But we have to be intentional about this. It's so easy to forget this in our lives. Prayer is a spiritual conversation with God where we lift Him up. Our desire in accordance with His will in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is spiritual fellowship and conversation with the living God. It just shouldn't be a rote mantra, something that we say over and over again. Think about it. How many times, this convicts me, how many times do we go to bed and we forget that we haven't prayed today? So we think to ourselves, oh, I need to pray. And so before we go to bed, we say a prayer. And before we finish our prayer, we have no idea what we're saying, but we're fast asleep. Jesus isn't saying that we don't pray before we go to bed or that it's not okay that we fall asleep in our prayer. But we need to be intentional about what we're praying. We're not praying to check off a checklist. Lastly, are we praying hopefully? Do we pray like we are praying to God Almighty, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always good? John Calvin wrote, Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to Him or exciting Him to do His duty or of urging Him as though He were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek Him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on His promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxiety by pouring them into His bosom in a word that they may declare that from Him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others all good things. Think about it. Romans chapter 8 and the promises that are there that as we come before God that He promises us promises us to give us all good things. Think back to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So whatever you think, whatever good that you think about yourself, put it aside because it's minuscule compared to the good that God has in store for us. 
See, believers must be motivated in prayer by the Heavenly Father's goodness and care because God always knows. Therefore, I am moved. I am motivated. I am given all the more reason to pray. Why? Because God's knowledge reminds me of His care and goodness. So I can I no longer come before God as a checklist item. I no longer have to say, if God knows and is going to answer and has good, why do I pray? But I come before God, Father God, and I kneel before Him because I know, and by praying I'm reminded about who He is and what my relationship with Him is, and how He restores my relationship with Himself and with others. And it reminds me of His care and goodness, and it gives me strength. The last question He ends with, I think, if we look at who we're praying to and what our motive in prayer is, is when we pray, what will be the answer? He poses two opposite scenarios. The answer to our prayer is either going to be the praise of men or it's going to be God's reward. So which will it be? We don't have a choice of what it is. It's going to be one or the other. So if we come to God and we don't check our motive, or if we don't pray to God, but we pray for the benefit of other people or for ourselves, God gives us this warning And I think it's important not to miss it. He says, they have the reward. They have their payment. So this idea of prayer being this righteous deed that they were working for, that they thought that they would give them a good standing with God, he says, it is a righteous deed, but they're not praying for the right reason. They're not praying to the right person. They're praying that they would be honored, that they would be praised. And so he says, they have the reward. See, those who pray to impress people get the reward of impressed people. The reward that God presents for those who pray to Him and are true believers of Him is He promises to give us all good things. He promises to glorify Himself and give us what is good. Think about it this way. Someone once said, every answer to prayer that would be good for us has been purchased with Christ's blood. Think about that. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ, every good thing that comes about in your life that's an answer to prayer has already been purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's comforting, but it's also convicting. Who are we praying to? See, if we're praying to others, we have our reward. We have the ear of man. We have their praise. But God wants us to pray to Him with the right heart because He wants Himself to be glorified through our lives so that He can give us all good things that glorify Him. So we have two choices set up for us. To to pray for the reward of man or pray to the Father who seeks to glorify Himself 
and give us all good things. At the center of self-will is me carving in my world, in my view, my world, my image. At the center of the true disciples' prayer is God carving me into the image of His Son. And so as I pray before God, to God with the right heart, God carves me into the image of His Son and I become like Him. So no longer do I see Him as this distant person who I have to soothe the ear to Him, but I can see Him as Father. I can see Him as the One through Jesus Christ who paid for my sin. I can see Him as the One who seeks my good. Someone said, how we know God impacts the way that we pray. And so our theology. How we think about God informs, influences, and in the final analysis, determines our practice, how we live, how we pray. And so if our view of God is wrong, and we don't pray to Him as Father, but we pray for, to the praise of others, it directly impacts our practical theology in all these good things that we're thinking that we're doing. Because God no longer sees them as righteous deeds, but He sees them as works, rags. But as a believer of Jesus Christ, you come before God and you pray that your heart would be right so that we pray and that our righteous deeds would be towards the Father, that He would be glorified. I hope that through this that we will consistently pray to God instead of about God. I hope that we will constantly check our motives and heart as we pray. I hope that there is humility, sincerity, and intentionality. There's a hope to your prayer. See, real prayer, kingdom prayer, it's not about posture, whether you're standing or kneeling or sitting. It's not about location. It's not about frequency. It's not about eloquence or using the proper words. True prayer, kingdom prayer, it's about sincerity. It's about meaning. It's about talking to God as if you were really talking to God. Think about that. You're talking to God, Creator, Father, because you are talking to God. So in the coming weeks as we learn about the Lord's Prayer, it is. I pray that it's not overlooked or doesn't become this rote thing that we pray through but we pray like Jesus prayed with confidence and hope so we can pray as He prayed with the right heart towards the Father saying, Our Father, Dad, make Your name holy among us. Make Your name holy in my life. Help me to be salt and light. Help me to reflect the image of Your Son. 
so that others would come to know You and be glorified in You, so that people from every tribe and tongue will one day stand before Your throne, that Your kingdom will come, so that we will worship You. God, help us to fight against pride. Help us to realize You as Father and give, that You will give us our needs. Help us to real, realize that You are bountiful God, help us to thank You for Your forgiveness and what Jesus did on the cross for us and the debt that we have, but that You forgave us. And help us to go out and forgive those who sin against us. God, protect us from temptation and deliver us from evil.